Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Anyone can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the apples in the seed. The story of Good Shepherd includes many people, but really it's the Lord's story. In June of 1978, Good Shepherd started meeting in Loveland High School. Then in June of 79, on 13 acres, ground was broken, time was given, and the building began to take shape. From the beginning, Good Shepherd Church was formed in large part by our heart for missions. Despite some of the challenges of those early years, and of course there were challenges, even in the midst of leadership changes, the Lord was clear that Good Shepherd was His church and it was here to stay. As the Lord would have it, an initial two-year commitment turned into 41. Over the course of those many years, families came, ministries were started, and generations took root. Staying at Good Shepherd, although at times not easy, was a calling that could not go unanswered. We needed to sow a field on which the next generation could build a church that would be here to stay. A mark of Good Shepherd has always been a deep grounding in God's Word. Every week, as people have come in and out of these doors, hearts have been tended to and seeds have been scattered throughout the world. On any given day, marriages are blessed, losses are mourned, and new life is celebrated. From the Christmas programs, to serving our city, mission trips abroad, to faithful friends, our church has experienced it all. This plan and purpose, although executed by imperfect people, has been grounded in God's Word and His vision for Good Shepherd. It's been worth investing in. It's clear that the Lord's story for Good Shepherd through the years has been one that is here to stay. Yeah, pretty awesome, huh? If you are wondering, man, I wonder if they'll do a new part of that video next week. You'll just have to come and see next week, you know what I mean? Uh, hey, my name's Austin, and uh, I see some faces maybe I don't know, uh, some guests with us today, and I just want to say welcome. You caught us uh, at an odd time. Let me, if I could just be honest, we are in the middle of a three-week series called Here to Stay. And what this is all pointing to is next week, uh, our church family is going to come prepared, come prayed up, ready to submit an offering that we are going to use uh, exclusively for the updating and for some construction in the building. There's several projects the trustees have kind of picked out over time and, and that it has all been outlined last week. And so if you want to get up to date, you want you missed last week in sermon, you can go back and watch that one online. Uh, there's also a, a, a landing page on our website that you can go to that 
has just a quick little recap video and you can see all the projects out in the hall. Uh, but what I want to do today is I really want to take some time to unpack uh, why we as Christians give. Why we give? Why would, why would we give to the church? Uh, what are tithes and offerings and how are those used? How should those be used? Uh, really what I, what I want to do today is I want to convince you that really this three weeks is not about you contributing or any person contributing a certain amount of num- num- <laughs> Hold on. A certain amount of money to a building project. Really what this is about is seeing to it that God would, God would show us the priority of how we are to order finances in our heart according to his word. Amen? And so uh, I just want to say though, on the front of this, that, like there's a lot of you that don't consider this church home. Maybe you're just checking us out for the first time. And I just want to say, um, we, we don't expect you to contribute anything in this next week. Um, I, I pray that if you are searching for a church, that is, that is something that you should take seriously. And I'm praying that you will uh, take the time to find a church, find a pastor that you can get involved in. If it's not this one, that is okay. Uh, it's also okay if it is this one. If you come here and you find here and you hang here and you feel like you belong here, you want to stick, man, get in and, and, and just dive all the way in is my request. Um, don't, be, don't be half-hearted at, at different places, but find someone that you can get behind and serve and, and pour after vision and go for it, whatever that pastor is feeling led to do and whatever that body is feeling led to go for, um, go for it. But this, I just, it's an awkward thing. I mean, even last week I addressed it, but there's all these people I don't even know that are in the room and I'm like, hey, we need $1.5 million and, you know, it's not necessarily from you. What I want to say is if you're a guest, uh, we don't need your money. Uh, our church, if you want to know kind of how this is built, and we'll talk about more of this in a little bit, uh, we're, we are not, people have asked before, like, hey, how, how, does, this, how does this work? Y'all get like a, a grant from the government or something like that? How do you have this building and pay all these people? And no is the answer to that question for sure. But, um, you know, is there just like one billionaire that kind of hangs out here, just like billionaire Bill, who's got a trust fund somewhere and he just kind of sets you guys up. It's just going and... Answer to that is no also. I mean, really uh, what you're looking at here is a family of believers and there's about 150 uh, to our best estimate, really uh, unique giving units or unique giving families in this church. And so all that budget numbers and stuff that we talked about last week, that is all given through uh, about 150 to 200 families. Uh, We look at tithing or just giving reports. Uh, It's important that you know, uh, we never see any names attached to those reports. So I have no idea whoever gives what. I don't ever want to know who gives what because I never want to give more attention to billionaire Bill than, than millionaire Millie or whoever, you know, this person is, it's just like, oh, just a million dollars, like whatever. No, I like, we don't want to be impartial in any way. And so we don't, I have no idea who gives what. I don't want to know who gives what. But we do look at um, what's, what's given and we look at households and how much is given. We try and estimate how much, how much of our people are tithing. And it's about, about 300 people probably, if you estimate uh, the, the 150 is like married couples and maybe there's some singles, but maybe there's some families as well. And that's a, that's a really healthy number. It's a really healthy number for a church, given that uh, some giving statistics more recently would indicate that uh, Americans in general give about 2.8% of their income to the local church. 2.8. So that's obviously well short of a tithe. We'll talk about what a tithe is if you're not familiar with that word, but it's well short. That number is actually down from about 3.3% during the Great Depression. And that's greatly depressing, isn't it? <laughs> like, wow, we have maybe more than ever and we're giving uh, probably less than we have in a long time. And so... Um, Really, why we give? Why we give? I want to unpack this message for you today. Um, why is it that I would participate in something like this? Why is it that I would contribute and give to a local church? Um, we're going to open up to First Chronicles chapter 29. If you want to grab your Bible, open it up there. If you don't have a Bible with you, it'll be on the screen. But as you're turning there, I want to tell you a story that I think fits with kind of the heart of this message. Um, our, our kids at school, this was last winter, they did like a little pop-up shop 
you know, they sell all sorts of little fun, just cheap little toys, sticky hands and the little, what are the little guys with the, like sticky hands and sticky feet and you throw them at a window and they just kind of flip down? I just thought those things were awesome. I always love those things. They're just great. And uh, the kids one year are like, hey, mom and dad, this last year, they were like, hey, we'd really like some money so that we could buy presents for you guys. They set it up around Christmas time. Like, we just really love to buy some presents for you. I'd love to do some Christmas shopping for Harrison. And I was like, this is great. Save the trip to Target. You know what I mean? Because there's no way that's cheaper than $10 ever, ever. That's always more expensive than 10 bucks. So I'm like, here you go, five bucks each. They go to the store, come home that night, they go to school, right? And I don't remember exactly how the conversation came up, but we're putting our kids to bed at night. And Harrison had expressly communicated to Harper that he really wanted this like cheetah toy that he saw. He saw some Wild Kratts episode and was just like obsessed with cheetahs. There's this little cheetah toy. And uh, comes out as we're kind of doing bedtime, Harper didn't buy him the cheetah thing. And in fact, she, she actually only spent the money on herself. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't even buy us anything. And then as we're like exploring Harrison, who's just, he's devastated, right? Harrison is just heartbroken in this moment because he didn't get anything. Uh, come to find out, he didn't buy us anything either. He didn't spend any money on his sister. He spent it all on himself. It was just like, I am going to use this in a sermon someday. So I wrote it down and <laughs> like dated the note. And uh, today's the day. Today's the day. Because I think really what that story captures is a lot of, a lot of our heart posture towards money. I mean, how many of you have prayed the prayer like, God, if you just let me win the lotto, I would be so generous with that money, right? And it's like, probably not. Maybe you would be generous, but would you be like sacrificially generous? Are you sacrificially generous now? We have won the lottery. I mean, we live in one of the most prosperous nations to have ever existed. And, and are we sacrificially generous now? Is that how we use our money? This is going over well already. It's just amazing. <laughs> I can speak for myself, but I know that like, man, uh, it's, it's easy to kind of take resources that are given to you. And I, I know in my head that everything I have belongs to the Lord, not just a tithe, but every single penny in my bank account belongs to him. I not only know that, but I know that, man, uh, everything that I'm able to do, all the work, everything that I'm able to produce and everything that I do that generates an income is all because of Jesus. Every single moment is a moment of grace that I live in. And so all of it belongs to him. All of it's because of him. And yet, like, I don't just sit here over every single pay paycheck and just go, okay, God, here's my tithe. That part's automatic. Um, but like, what would you have Katie and I do with this, with this money? What would you do? What do you want us to do? Like, I, I'm just not that intentionally prayerful. And my guess is, if we're honest, uh, not a lot of us are. Not a lot of us are. And so... Um, 1 Chronicles chapter 29, I think it really captures uh, the heart posture of what we're hoping for in this series. It's a, it's a unique uh, book, the book of First and Second Chronicles. Really, it would have been one book, but the scroll was just so dang huge. They, they cut it down into First and Second Chronicles. Um, but it's, it really just is recapping a lot of the stories that you've read already in Samuel and in First and Second Kings. And it's just going back over it. Uh, but it captures this in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. I want to pull a couple just things out of this text. Um, and then I have just a few points and, and just a few points. Um, we won't go 10 minutes over like we did last week. My bad. <laughs> and David, the king, said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great. For the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So David, at this moment, he's at the end of his reign as king. And he knows that he's already passing his, his kingdom on to his son, Solomon. Um, if you know the backstory of King David, King David had actually received plans from God to build this just uh, magnificently glorious temple. And David is told by God that he's not going to be the person to build the temple because he was a man of war. 
There was so much blood on David's hands. He'd engaged in so much battle that it wasn't going to be his to build, but he was going to gather all the surprise. He was going to have the blueprint and he was going to pass that off to his son, Solomon, to actually build. And so he's sitting here saying, it's Solomon's turn. Solomon, even though he's young and experienced, he's got a lot of work ahead of him. It's his turn to go. So I have provided for the house, David speaking, of my God, so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting. Antimony, antimony, anyone know what that is? I googled it this morning, so I know what it is. It's an element. It's a metal. Element number 51. I believe atomic number 51. Um, it's a very soft metal. It's, it's like formica. Formica. You know, kind of like it's really soft and it kind of is flaky. Yeah. Good to know. Right? Thank you. You and me. Yeah. All right. Anyways. Antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. More, so, um, David collects this thing. It says he's prepared it along the way. So what's interesting about this moment in the story is that, that David has prepared Israel's treasury to submit the first offering. The house of God submits the first offering. David had almost like, you could think of it as like this savings account that he was sitting on that in Israel had stewarded for a long time. And he leverages that as the first bit of the offering towards the temple. And I just think it's, it's really uh, unique that we're kind of in the same spot. That the trustees have positioned us a certain way over the years. The tithers of this church, the people who have made offerings, offerings uh, at this church for years have generated this almost million dollar savings account where we are getting started on some of these projects and, and they're already putting forward 400 grand. Like, and I, I didn't want to blow past that last week, but that's, that's an amazing thing that we can spend that much money on the building, set aside that much money for the building, and we still have a savings account, praise the Lord. Right? And so, David, David mobilizes all this stuff. And he says, then moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. Uh, and this is where we just see that David is, David's balling on a different budget than you and me. <laughs> 3,000 talents of gold of the gold of Ophir and 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house and for all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver. Who then will offer willingly consecrating himself today to the Lord? Then the leaders of, uh, then the leaders of father's house, houses made their free will offerings. So David didn't implement a tax. David didn't give a dollar amount. He didn't put forth a figure. He just said, hey, uh, whatever you feel compelled to give, you're going to give. There's a free will offering. You're going you're to make a decision in your heart with the Lord and go, this is what I'm going to offer. As did also the leaders of the tribes and the commanders of thousands and of hundreds and the officers over the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehiel, the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly for with a whole heart, they had offered freely to the Lord. David uh, and the, David, the king also rejoiced greatly. So Israel just, Israel just knocks it out of the park. I mean, uh, it's estimated this is somewhere between three, four hundred million dollars that's given for the building of the temple, which kind of gives me a segue into a few of the questions that came up from last week. Um, okay, Austin, uh, you want to raise $1.1 million? You want to see the church give $1.1 million? Um, what if we don't get it? 
Come on, I know somebody had that thought as they were leaving here last week. They're like, yeah, okay, what if we don't get it? Uh, here's, here's my answer. If we don't get it, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. What if we get over it? Again, praise the Lord. Uh, we've just already decided in our hearts that, that what we're doing here is we're trying to be faithful to put out these projects that we want to do to update the space. And then God is gonna, God is gonna unleash or God is gonna release however much money he wants to. Because uh, $1.5 million is like a $20 bill for the Lord. Right? And so God's going to do what he wants to do. Um, are we going to downsize our staff? Or are we going to kind of try and limit our operating expenses? Are we kind of trying to do other things so we can get these building projects done? No. No, we, we, we love our team. We, we are behind our team that we have here. Uh, part of the reason why we, we have a budget that goes 56% to staff salaries is because we believe people build great ministries. Like pizza doesn't build great ministries, right? So we could blow out our ministry number so that Taylor could buy just endless amounts of pizza and Pop-Tarts for the youth ministry. But... But really, I want to I wanna support Taylor to build a ministry. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so we're behind people. We're not going to hamstring ourselves just so we can get these projects done. They're not, the Lord's going to do what the Lord's going to do. Amen. Another question that's come up is, is Watson, what if I'm not ready? Um, maybe I'm not as liquid as, as uh, some people just writing a check. Maybe I need to move some things, sell some things, do some different things. Maybe the Lord compels you to get rid of something that is just, uh, you know it's too expensive, you know it's superfluous, and you don't need it, but you have it, and you want to get rid of it, and it's not going to be ready in time. I don't know what the circumstance is, uh, but you're not going to be ready by next weekend. Well, then I would just say, um, participate in some way next weekend, because it's going to be something that we're all going to do in unity. And when we move together in that kind of unity, uh, it's powerful, not just for the amount that comes in, but what happens in our hearts. And so we're going to give next weekend, but, the, but that option to give uh, is going to be open for the rest of the year towards the building offering. And so if you are, are, want to give your end of the year gift at the end of the year, however you want to do it, uh, that's going to be available for you as we, as we go on throughout the year. Uh, the third question that's been asked, and this is more practical, it's not as inspirational, but um, will we miss any time in the building? Uh, there's a lot of construction that's going to be going on, um, and at this point, the answer is no. Actually, our contractors that we uh, signed a contract with, because a lot of work is already moving forward in October, praise the Lord, because we have that $400,000, the trustees have already set a priority list, and we're going to start working through it as we can. But what we're going to do is we're going to start in this room, and what they said, they're all a bunch of church guys, which is just cool. They all go to this church in Longmont. They know all the volunteer jokes. It was awesome. And uh, they're all planning on being in here in a service when it's all said and done, which is, I think is just great. We didn't like, it wasn't like an interview question we had for them but they wanted to do it. And they said, worst case scenario, we lose access to the balcony for one week. So balcony, I, like I can see you up there. I forget about you sometimes just because the lights are so bright. It's not because I don't love you. All right. Paul and Valbecas, I see you right there. Um, just, we might lose access to the balcony for one week. Y'all have to come down here, sit with the rest of us for one week, but then hopefully it'll be back and going again next week. I can't even see you, but somebody's just shaking their head up there right now. Just like, no. Um, so that's, those are some of the questions, but, but back to first Chronicles, I want to point out a couple things is that, uh, first of all, the, the people of Israel were responding to what God had done. They weren't stirred up in a, like some sort of like emotionally manipulated moment here. They weren't like, um, under some sense of coerce, coercive or manipulative leadership that was just saying, Hey, you better give this much. Or you're not going to be welcome anymore. No, they just, they were responding to what God had, had done for them. And they just were submitting this out of worship, not out of pressure. The second thing that I noticed is that, um, uh, I'm not David. I'm not David. And maybe we can read this and, and we can get some like leadership principles that you shouldn't ask people that are following you uh, to do some things that you're not willing to participate in yourself. David definitely sets a good example for that. But more importantly, who David is in this story is Jesus. 
Stick with me for a second. The, the author of the book of Chronicles uh, doesn't, doesn't write about any of, of David's pitfalls in his life. He, he keeps it all like up here. David was this, oh, it's so awesome. And he kind of skips over the whole like Bathsheba and all this other kind of crazy stuff that David had going on. And he tells the, the good parts of the story because what the author of the book of Chronicles is trying to do is he's trying to cast our mind forward to the coming Messiah as we read it. And so here's what we know about Jesus. Jesus, just like David, put down the down payment for our salvation. So, so Jesus came and he didn't, he didn't ask us to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. He laid his life down so that whoever wants to follow him would follow after his lead and go, Jesus, I'm laying myself down. I want to follow after you. Jesus put down his blood and his body as the down payment for our salvation, just like David put down the down payment for the temple to get built. And so what, what, th what this is meant to cast your mind towards is the fact that God has so graciously, willingly, lovingly moved towards you and he's trying to save you. It's not about how much you give. It's about how much he's given. It's about how much he's poured out for you so that you might respond to the generosity that's been demonstrated to you first. Does that make sense? And so that's my first point this morning of why we give. Why we give is we give because we have received. We give because we have received. There's two kinds of giving that really is talked about in the Bible. There's, there's tithes and offerings. And a tithe, very simply put, would just be 10%. It's 10% of your income given back to, uh, historically where it's been given is to the local church that's feeding you, supporting you, and equipping you spiritually. And so listen, that's where I just say, if that's not this church, okay, that's okay with me. I don't, I don't need your money here. What I need is I want you plugged in and committed to a church where you can get behind the vision and say, okay, here we go, I'm investing here. Not because it's perfect, not because that pastor's perfect, because there isn't one, there isn't a perfect church, but you just get behind one and you go, okay, this is where I'm gonna contribute. There's a lot of talk about whether the tithe is, is still uh, needed today, whether it's still required today. It's interesting about the tithe, the tithe uh, shows up in the Old Testament before the law is ever given. And then when we think of the tithe, I think we think of Old Testament law that's given, there's actually three kinds of tithe, all together adding up to maybe about like 20 to 23% of Israel's income. Three different kinds of tithe that Israel gives. And then Jesus, when he's on the scene, Jesus actually uh, says, hey, you're, you're tithing your mint and your, and your cumin. And he's like, you're, like, you're tithing out of your herb garden, which he says, which is, which is what you ought to do. But he says, while you're doing that, don't neglect the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy. So his rebuke against tithing is that people are tithing as this like sacrificial religious system, but they're not actually looking for an inward heart transformation while they're doing it. That's important for us to, remind, to remember as we do this. Like God, God is not gonna be more impressed if you give a big number. Like I think of the, the, the widow offering her two mites and how Jesus goes out of his way to say, no, listen, listen, her offering, because it was done with her heart, because she gave what she, um, all that she had, like that was significant. And so um, this is where I think we get maybe a little discouraged in the sermon because we start talking about ties and we start talking about, okay, I know maybe that's something I should do, but man, Austin, if you just, if you knew my budget, like if you just saw what was going on every month, like you, you'd give me the out, like you would understand. And what I want to say is um, that there are, there are people who will help you in this church, who will sit down with you and they will, they will look at your budget with you and they will help you go through and find areas because God is, God is Jehovah Jireh. He is provider. And, and when we tithe, I'm not tithing to earn his salvation, but I'm tithing, recognizing, know that God, you've given me everything. And so God, I'm actually gonna, I'm gonna trust you to move in the 90% of my income to do more with that than I could do with the full hundred. 
And so listen, like I have, I have some older people in this church. If you want to sit with older people who have been through a lot of life, I have younger people in this church. If you just want to get some people that are in your peer group, I have some people uh, who are, who are boys, who are girls, who will sit down with you. They'll look at your budget. If you have a budget and I can't promise they won't get out a red pen and they won't go cable. Nope. That car payment. Nope. Got to figure it out. You know what I mean? They're, but they are going to lovingly, graciously, with no judgment, help you. Because there are biblical principles, the way that you can approach your finances that I believe lead to blessing. Not in this crazy like way where if you sow $5,000 in this building, I guarantee you, you'll get 10,000 back. That's not what I'm talking about. That's garbage time. What I'm talking about though, is you having this perspective that no, God has given me everything. And so I trust him to return back to him what is his, the 10%. But it's not just about tithing. It's also about giving offerings. Because what's interesting is the New Testament church was not marked by the spiritual practice of tithing. It wasn't like, oh, they were able to provide for the poor because of their tithe. No, but what the, what the New Testament does show us is that the, the, new, the church, when it was first born, was marked by this radical generosity. So Acts 2.45 says, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds uh, to all as any had need. This is, again, this wasn't some like state-sponsored taxation system like communism. This was just an inward, inward transformation of the spirit going like, man, listen, I don't love my stuff like that anymore. No, like I belong to Jesus. I love him. And, and if I see a need, I can help fill it. And so there's these offerings. There's these, there's these uh, ways that people go, okay, I'm not holding on to my stuff so tight. I'm just going to give some of it away. So part of the, like Katie and I have always tithed even since before we were married. We've been tithers. And, and even now, like, I'm telling you, that, that doesn't mean I don't drive a 1994 Jeep Grand Cherokee. It's sitting right out there in the parking lot. If y'all want to see it after church, it's, it's a spectacle. It still runs great, okay? Like, it hasn't just meant that I'm driving some Lambo because I've been this tither, but what we've always tried to do is we've go, gone, okay, God, we're going to trust you and we're going to tithe. When the budget's been tight, we're going to tithe. When there's a lot, we're going to tithe. And, and we don't just tithe, but we look then for spaces to give offerings. This, this requires Christians to have some sense of financial margin in your life. So I'm not just asking you to live on 90% of your income. I'm actually asking if you would, uh, under the Holy Spirit's conviction, look to, le leave, uh, to lead a life even under that. So that every time, like every time Katie goes to Desperation Conference, the last couple times we've gone down there, I think we come back with a new compassion kid every time. I'm just like, I just, it's going to happen, Right. And here's what I know. Uh, even one child, we sponsor one child. Um, if I don't, if we don't just give that money away, I have 30, 40 bucks a month. You know what I'm going to spend it on? Uh, me neither. Like, I don't know. Starbucks, Domino's, like, I'm just going to spend it somewhere. I'm just going to, it's going to go away somewhere. So like, why not just offer it somewhere that's going to be of better use? There's tithes and there's offerings. And we give them not because we can, we can just paint this picture of like, okay, God, um, I think I can really earn your attention if I were to give you some money. That's not, that's not the way it works. Uh, if, if you're giving to get, you have it all backwards already. We give because we have received. We give in response to what we've been given already. And the second reason why we give is we give because it keeps us content. So when I think of tithes and offerings, um, I just, I know my tendency is to take resources and to kind of close my hands around them. You know what I mean? I go like, oh, I, I really would like whatever. <laughs> but what tithing does is this consistent practice of opening my fingers Every month, every month I give my tithe. Every month we give our tithe and we just say, go, go. It's, it's not even ours. Don't even touch it. And it, I'm just consistently keeping my hand open to what the Lord's called me to. 
But then offerings, what they are is they're just chances that we look for, look for chances to be generous, chances to help people. And we go, okay, Lord, uh, this might not even go to the church. This might just go somewhere completely different, but we're just gonna give it away. We're just gonna give it away. We feel called, we're gonna give it away. And what I wanna make sure is clear is that as you prepare and you pray over giving an offering, that you don't let your offering come at the cost of your tithe. This is important. They're different things. You, you tithe based on the income that you earn. You give offerings based on what you, just, what you have. And it's important to note too, like God's not just after your, after your tithes and offerings. He also wants you just to be generous with all the stuff that he's already given to you. Be generous with your car. Be generous with your home. Be generous with the places that God has placed you to work and to play. God's looking to cultivate this generosity in all of us because our tendency is to fall in love with the stuff that we've been giving. So we give because it helps keep us content. First Timothy chapter six says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So you just have to understand that this is, this is the air that we're breathing as a culture filled with consumers is we go, man, it's all about get, get, get. It's all about more, more, more. It's all about keeping up with the Joneses. And there's just this hamster wheel that we're all on where we're just convinced if I just would earn a little bit more money, then I could just really buy the sense of happiness that I've been after. And Solomon has kind of proved that that's just vanity is what he calls it. And he, and he was bawling way more than you ever will. Um, anyways, but the, if, there, if you let this root, this love of money take hold in your heart, uh, it leads to all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Why? Because Jesus is ultra clear. You cannot have two masters. You will love one and hate the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the word that he uses there for money isn't actually like dollars. It's mammon, this idea of stuff, things. If you are so in love with the material world around you in getting and accumulating all that you can, your heart will fall in love with that stuff and you will neglect your actual Lord and Savior. You can only have one that you're going to serve and your heart's going to gravitate towards the stuff. And so I want to give because it keeps me, it keeps my perspective on going, okay, God, no, you've provided everything for me. You have given me all the gifts and talents that I have to earn a living. You've given me every dollar that I have. I want to continually give back to you. This is where Paul says, I've, I've found the secret of contentment. I love that phrase. In Philippians 4, 12 and 13, he says, I know, or I'm sorry, Philippians 4, uh, 10, 11, and then we'll read 12 and 13. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Paul's like, hey, thanks. You're helping a brother out. Thanks, church at Philippi. You're like doing me a solid. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. What Paul's saying here is he's like, listen, I've, I've done Totino's and ramen. Like, listen, and I, I know what that's like and I know how to eat at Ruth's Chris. You know what I'm saying? Like Paul has, has, has known what it's like to be beat up and to live and, and to eat just whatever they're feeding him in jail. But he's also uh, rolled with Lydia. Lydia is this, this girl in the, new, in the book of Acts that we learned. She's like this dealer in fine purple linens, which just means that Lydia was a baller. Like, and she, we don't have any document of Lydia being just like overtly generous with her tithe, but she was generous with her home. Like churches would meet in her home. If, if Lydia was alive today, she'd be the girl who's like in the fashion district with a house in Manhattan. She'd have a house in LA and probably one over in Paris somewhere. Like Lydia was doing well and Paul would hang out with her and he wouldn't get 
swindled. He wouldn't let his heart get caught up into the worldly things. But he would go, no, I've learned. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. How? I can do all things because it is Christ who strengthens me. So listen to me, little high, like high school football players, like all you little young athletes with this Philippians 4.13 in your Instagram profile right now, um, go get it. Like just do it. Go, go get it. Work hard. Like do your thing. But, but don't say when you score the touchdown, well, I can do that because Christ strengthens me. Because that is just wildly out of context. <laughs> what Paul's talking about right here, and I don't, like, I'm not trying to knock it. Like go, go work hard, go score a touchdown, do your little celebration dance, do it all. That's awesome. I love it. But what he's talking about here is he's talking about, I can have contentment because I know that it's Christ who gives me strength. So if you want to know the secret to contentment, if you want to kind of break this like endless supply of trying to accumulate more of materialism and consumerism and this just like black hole that is a lot of American hearts of just stuff. If you want to break that, you have to understand and receive that it is Christ who strengthens you. Dave Ramsey, I mean, you can, you can like him, you can not like his personality, I don't really care. One of the things he says that is really great is that uh, personal finance is really, it's 20% head knowledge and 80% behavior. How many of y'all know that's true? Yeah. I can set my budget for one month, but then the Bato's Tacos comes around and I'm like, all right, let's go. You know what I mean? <laughs> what you need if you're gonna order your finances in the way that God would have you order your finances is you don't, you don't necessarily need to read another book You don't need to listen to another podcast. What you need is to receive this inward reality that Jesus has paid everything for you. And so the only appropriate response out of my heart is to respond generously towards him and his kingdom. Uh, Like like we can sit here all day and talk about different practical ways to help you with your money. But ultimately what it's going to come down to is you receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ that while you were still sin, Jesus died for you. He paid his life for you and he gave you everything. Like you can't even take one more breath today without, being, without it being a gift of his grace. And because he spent everything for you, um, the only response that we have is to go, okay, God, what do you want from me? God could just as easily go, hey, it's not about a tithe. It's, I want 90, you keep 10. And that would be totally within his right. It all belongs to him. If you think back to the garden of Eden, uh, there was only one tree that could have been off limits. He could have made it, all the trees were off limits except for this one tree that'll provide for you and sustain you. He could have. He's God. It all belongs to him. And what he's asked us for is he's not asked us for any specific amounts of our money, but what he's asked for is a heart that is in recognition of who he is as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, provider of everything, giver of everything. That's who he is and that's what he's done. The last point for why we give is we give because we want to test God. Um, this may be, this, you go, okay, whoa, whoa, I got too much reverence to test God. But Malachi 3.10 does say, uh, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. God is really into ROIs, return on investment. Like he is. And what God is looking for from us is to, in faith, sow into his kingdom. Well, maybe it's not even about the building project here for a sec. Maybe he's calling you to help the single uh, mother that lives next to you. Maybe he's calling you to be generous with your car for one of your coworkers. I don't know what he's calling you to do. But the point is, is that if we'll put God to the test by, by being generous and opening up our stuff and, and sowing into the kingdom of God, is that he's going to bless it wildly. 
He's going to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think or imagine or dream. And what I want to see is I want to see us make this investment in this place, not really so that we can just enjoy it for ourselves, but for generations to be impacted after us. Because there's going to be a seed, that little quote, only God can count the apples in every seed. Have you thought about that yet? We put that quote up there intentionally. Like if you thought about it, you don't know what one act of faith sowing a seed into the ground is going to yield in its lifetime and what that fruit is then going to yield. But this is all actually really next week's sermon. So I just invite you to come back next week. Go ahead and stand. We're going to pray. As we pray, um, I want to pray uh, this prayer of blessing that David prays over the assembly of Israel here in First uh, Chronicles 29. If you just kind of want to close your eyes, it's not going to be up on the screen. If you just want to hear this and receive it, and if we kind of just line our hearts up with, what, with what's being said here, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours, O God, is the kingdom. O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hands are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Jesus, I pray that uh, as we maybe spend some time this week considering if this is something that you're stirring us up to do, uh, I pray specifically against discouragement, that if we're kind of in this spot where we go, man, I just wish I could give more. God, help us uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit to take some steps to get healthier in our finances right now so that maybe next time the opportunity comes up to be generous, um, would you help us to be in a different situation to be generous? And God, if we're on the other end, or maybe we have plenty, God, would you just stir us up not to give under uh, compulsion or to do something just to impress somebody else or to really make sure that we're impressing you, God, but would we just give in faith responding to what you've done to us? God, I pray as, as there's going to be all sorts of just conversations happening this week, uh, spouses talking, parents talking with kids, um, people just praying and talking to you. God, would you just, would you lead us with just absolute direct clarity this week? Would you just speak to us and, and, and maybe even help us take the inventory of the times that you've been generous and the ways that you've provided, the places that you've showed up. And would we not give next week uh, in doubt or in fear, God, but would we give in faith next week? Would, we, would you stretch us, challenge us a little bit? And would you um, just do whatever it is that you want to do amongst us, God? You are Lord. You are good. It all belongs to you. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.